Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace again this afternoon. We thank thee for thy presence with us throughout this day. And we pray that you would bless as we have been blessed this morning with your word, that you would bless it once again. As we look into it, open our hearts, our minds and our understanding. And above all, that we would be wise in doing your word as we have learned. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I felt uh, inspired to read again from the book of Psalms. Looks like today is the day of Psalms. We read from Psalm 37 and from Psalm 46 and perhaps others as well. I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to Psalm number 34. Psalm number 34. I think it was alluded to actually this morning as well. This is another Psalm of David, Psalm 34, and the subtitle says, David praises God and exhorts others thereto by his experience. Uh, A Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Starting to read at verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked upon him, and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lion do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are upon open to their cries. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. 
Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. I've read it up to and including the last verse, verse 22. Apparently this was also an acrostic. We heard about that this morning. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, I believe. And um, this was a, a psalm of David. And he gives a hint in here, perhaps, that he's also gone through many troubles. And the subtitle, he talks about when this was. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. This was a little bit confusing because the priest at that time was named Ahimelech. And that's when David went and fled uh, from the face of Saul. Because Saul was constantly trying to destroy him because of jealousy. I'd just like to go back to give a bit of context to um, this chapter, Psalm 34. If we go back to, you can follow if you want, just going to skim through the history here, uh, Samuel 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18. And it begins with showing how the the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Jonathan was the son of Saul. Saul had already uh, demonstrated how jealous he was because of the, the popularity that David had. When he went out to fight against the Philistines and they came back with, with a glorious victory and, and saying how you know, Saul had killed his thousands but David had killed his ten thousands. And um, Saul didn't like that. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go no more home to his father's house. That is David. And Jonathan David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan gave David his armor and his robes and his um, sword and his girdle to help him in his battles against the Philistines. And because of, uh, as I said, when he came back from the battle with the Philistines, they were dancing in the streets with tabrets and musical instruments, and Saul was very wrath, saying, uh, and the saying displeased him. And they ascribed unto David tens of thousands to to. to and to me only a thousands, he would say. So he plotted from here on in to get rid of this person that was taking away glory from himself, if you will. What really caught my attention in these next chapters, in chapter 18, 19, 20, and 21, this is what it said of David. This is Remember, this is young David now. He wasn't even king yet, but... The kingdom was rent or stripped from Saul because of his disobedience, where he refused to wait for Samuel to perform the sacrifice before he went to fight with the Amalekites. Samuel wasn't coming. Samuel wasn't coming. 
He lost his patience and he sacrificed. He didn't a, a deed or a task that was really only offered, uh, given to the priest to do, for which Samuel was. And so, but what I, I find in verse 5, uh, after, you know, Jonathan gave him his armor and his sword and his garments, and it said, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. I didn't catch that before. He behaved himself wisely, not only at the beginning before Saul turned on him, but at every other turn when Saul plotted against David in different devious ways. It said, but David acted and behaved himself wisely. So we go to the next one in verse 9. Saul eyed David. From that day forward, he kept his eye on David. He was, he was going to do something bad to him to get rid of him. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times on his harp. And Saul takes his javelin and he throws it at David to smite him even to the wall. And David avoided, he ducked out of the presence and this happened twice already Saul this is the second time that Saul uh, he tried to pierce uh, spear David through therefore he was afraid of David because the Lord was with David he could see that and was departed from uh, Saul therefore Saul removed him from him made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people and the reason he did this was to put David into battle he put David into battle so that in the heat of the battle at least the Philistines would kill him and then Saul would be clean hands getting rid of his enemy but it says in verse 14 and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Saul became even more afraid. You would think that when this didn't happen, so many times that Saul got the picture, Saul got the message. Maybe he's under divine protection from God. And David was, he wasn't naive, but as we heard this morning, he wouldn't, in any way turn against the command that God gave him that we need to um, honour those that rule over us and that he would in no way touch the Lord's anointed. He didn't want to take vengeance. He wanted God, if God wanted to take vengeance, that God would do it. Remember the, uh, the story of Michael the Archangel? He said he was in the in the New Testament, was it the book of Jude? He, he was he was fighting for the body, striving for the body of Moses, which was buried, who knows where. And yet he it says Michael dare not in any way rail against him, but said, The Lord uh, vindicate me, if I can use the word, I'm not sure, I can't remember the exact word. The Lord rebuke you, I think he said. 
And so even Michael the archangel dare not say anything but said, the Lord will do this to you. The Lord will, will take vengeance on me against you. And so David had the same mindset that God gave him a mission to do and God told him that he was going to be king, but he didn't want to take it on his own, in his own hand and preempt the leading of the Lord. So he waited patiently. This, this goes back into Psalm 34 when we get back there. Um, and then Saul offers, Saul offers uh, his daughter Merab, I will give him to wife. And it wasn't because he wanted to be nice to David. Because his plan was revealed when Merab, when the time came for, for David to take that, his wife, he gave that wife to someone else, to Adriel, I think his name was. Adriel, the Mehalothite. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, loved David and told Saul, and this pleased him. And then so I will give him to her that she may be a snare to him. She was gonna, he was going to use her to somehow ensnare him and trap him and use her to get to David so that he could get rid of him that way, whatever his devious plans were. This is a, if we go back now to the teachings of Jesus, remember what the definition of a pure heart was? Remember from the Beatitude, what is a pure heart? Blessed are they that are pure in heart. Remember what that meant, what, what the teaching was there? Someone that was pure in heart, pure means unadulterated, a single metal like gold, pure gold, without any contaminations, without any alloy or mixture. Someone that is pure of heart is one that has one will, not two wills, one will. Not someone that is double-minded. Not someone that says, I want to serve God, but I also want to serve the world. I want to love God, but I also want to love money, the God of wealth, mammon. He said, you cannot serve two masters. And so Saul's heart was divided. He was saying, I want to um, show David my love. And I want to show him, I want to somehow lure him out. I'm doing this, but behind the scenes, behind this hypocrisy, he really wanted to kill him. He was of a double mind. And Jesus, although the Bible says that a man that is of a double mind is, is unstable in all his ways. So he tried to do that, and he still couldn't do it. Then he gave, then he told, you can have what, I, what you want, I don't want a dowry for Michael. You don't have to give me a dowry. Just give me the, the foreskins of a hundred Philistines. Go out there and kill a hundred Philistines and give me their foreskins. What a pretty sick thing to do. But you know what David said? I'll go. And instead of a hundred, he killed two hundred Philistines. And he delivered the goods. He was hoping that the these of trying to do this with these Philistines that he would get killed. It still didn't work. It backfired on him. He had 200 and then he gave Michael as the daughter and so forth. And then at the end of this chapter it says, 
Then the princes of the Philistines went forth, and it came to pass, after they went forth, that David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was much set by. When someone has a single purpose in pleasing the Lord, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, though the, though the, 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 it'd be an extremely difficult situation, there'll be a perilous situation. If we know it's from the Lord, we know it's going to succeed. And God will remove all the barriers. God will, will, will make a way for us. This is, this is trust at its highest. Even though I may be slain, as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. That's the kind of a relationship that Job had with God, and that's the kind of a relationship that David had with God. Then you go into chapter 19. Jonathan pleads with Saul. Jonathan uh, goes to Saul and says, what are you trying to do? Why do you want to kill him? What do you, he, he's not sinning against you. He's for you. He's not against you. And then Saul says, okay. He gives it, basically, he, ma he makes an oath. He swears, as the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. Three verses from here, he throws another javelin at David. While he was playing the, the harp for him, and Saul sought to smite David, even to the wall. And when later on Jonathan meets David, and David's telling him, your father's out to get you. No, he's not. He told me, like, that's sort of the, the discussion that went through. He, he, the last thing he heard Saul say to Jonathan was, no, I'm not going to, I swear that I will not kill him. But he went to spear him a third time. As a matter of fact, I believe that he went to even smite his own son, what he didn't like he, to hear from what his son said. So David, when this happened, Michael, his wife, knew that they were going to come and get him. She knew the plans. And she helped David escape out of the window on a rope. Sound familiar? Remember what happened in Damascus with Paul? They were going to come to get him. And so he escaped out of Damascus, over the wall of Damascus, to flee from his enemies. Michael takes whatever it was, this pillow of goat skin, goat's hair, puts it under the blanket, and there they, she makes out that David is now here sick and he's sleeping in the bed. So when the messengers of Saul come and they find out he's been tricked, he gets furious again and he gets further and further into this, into this spiral of deception and corruption to the point where it says, keep on saying, the spirit of God was upon them, the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. I'm just wondering what was going on. What do they mean? What does God mean when he put the spirit of himself over these people? Were they prophesying against Saul? Saul prophesied. They said, is Paul, Saul also among the prophets? It makes a bit 
difficult to try to understand that. We can conjecture, but I won't. But then David flees to, to Samuel. And he tells Samuel everything that, that he, he's experienced. And Samuel assured him nothing's going to happen to him. And then in chapter 20... Jonathan and David, again, David's going to tell Jonathan that this is going to happen. And Jonathan said, no, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to inquire my father. And they went through this exercise of shooting the arrows. If it goes beyond this path, this path, you know that the answer is no, flee. If it doesn't come beyond that path, this, this arrow, then everything's okay. You can come back. It so happened that David got the message that Saul was still after him. And now he comes to Nob. David comes to Nob, Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid of meeting David and said unto him, Why art you alone? No man with you. David said to Ahimelech, Oh, the king has commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything about this. Again, this is David, the king, the king to be, the heir apparent. Now he's telling, making this story up to Ahimelech. I don't want to read too much into that, but basically Ahimelech, based upon that and his story, uh, and he had these men with him, gives him of the shoe bread, only which the priests are allowed to eat. There's 12 loaves. They put on the table in the, ta in the tabernacle, 12 loaves, and every time they're depleted, they replace them with, with fresh loaves. And he gives them to David and his men. And, and Jesus makes a commentary on this. He comments on these very things that were sacred, how even David was allowed to eat of the shewbread. God allowed him to eat of that shewbread. Because the Pharisees were, were criticizing his disciples. I won't go into that either, but the make a long story short, here we have in chapter 21, David after that gets the sword of Goliath that Ahimelech had. He said, do you have anything here for me, any weapon? He had the sword of Goliath, the one that he had defeated in battle, and he gives it to him, and he takes off. And he doesn't know where to take off, and he comes to the king of the Philistines, Akish. He was the king in Gath, and Gath was the town where Goliath was from. And he comes before this Philistine. Now he's this Jew who is the enemy of the Philistines, and how is he going to save his skin? He says he acted mad. He acted mad. He acted crazy. He was scratching the door, the, the wooden doors, and his spitting coming, spittle coming from his mouth. And the king said, he's a madman. Get rid of him. I don't need any more of these people here. He played the madman in my presence, and this fellow came to my house. So then David comes, and he escapes to the cave of Adullam. When his brethren and all his fathers heard it, they came down. 400 of his family 
when he came to the cave of Adullam near Gath, uh, the parents heard about that. They sent reinforcements of his kinsmen and the village that was there, the people that were there. And these were men that were in distress. Everyone was in debt and everyone that was dis discontented, disgruntled, gathered themselves together. Perhaps those that didn't like Saul either, they gathered together. And now, now David had this army of 400 men. Now, it is believed that in this cave of Adullam is where David actually penned Psalm 34. It doesn't say, but it does say when he left Ahimelech. What was his next stop? So in this cave or in this place, David, in his troubles, in, in his peril, in his... In his uh, 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 great trial that he's going through what does he say I will bless the Lord at all times at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth can you remember a New Testament application to this a New Testament scene that seemed like this you remember Paul and Silas? They were beaten. They were put in shackles against the wall. And at midnight, they began to sing praises to the Lord. And as soon as they began to sing praises to the Lord, the earthquake shook the walls. They were loose from their chains. In the midst of praise, can you think of another his, historical event in the Bible that happened with that? Was it Hezekiah? When the Assyrians came and, and they were singing with, and the trumpets were blowing? Was it that the story? No? What was it, Brother Edmund? No, I, I thought it was. When the Assyrian army came out there and, and, and... Pardon? Jehoshaphat, sorry. Jehoshaphat. Je Jehoshaphat. He had a great enemy against him. And in the midst of all this, they were singing and praising God. And the Bible says in another psalm that, that God inhabits the praises of his people. Inhabits the praises. He lives in. He dwells in the praises of his people. And when they were praising God, that's when God delivered and he said, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Why the humble? Because they're the receptive. The humble ones are the receptive ones. Back to Beatitudes. Jesus, not, I don't think Jesus spoke anything new that wasn't already spoken of in the Old Testament. We heard this morning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The third, whatever, fourth uh, Beatitude. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof. Why? Because they, they're tuned with God. They're in tune with God. And they shall be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. 
Magnify here doesn't mean blow him up in the sense like a magnifying glass. It means to glorify him. It means to, to enumerate his attributes. It means to declare how great God is. And we all sang this as, or we, maybe we sang this in Sunday school or in a choir. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all of my fears. This was David. He just finished running from a person that tried to already kill him three or four times. And he said, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. This week I read uh, a, a, a statement made by Elizabeth Elliot. We heard this, was it this morning we heard about Ecuador? I'm not sure. This morning. There was another case, I believe. But Jim Elliott and five other people, or five other families, they went to Ecuador and they were all slaughtered on the beach in Ecuador by their plane. But the wives survived because they weren't there. And one of the wives of, of, the, of those people was uh, Elizabeth Elliott, the, the wife of Jim Elliott. She wrote many books. But one of her sayings was, Self-pity, self-pity will destroy you. Flee from it. It is destructive. Instead, turn to Jesus Christ. Now, David could have been very self-pitying here. He could have turned and said, nobody loves me. Everybody hates There's a song that goes that way too. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. And they run. They feel like they're victims. But instead of feeling like they were victims, or he was a victim, David stood up. David still went back into battle. David still fought for Saul. David, why? Because his enemy was, Saul's enemy was his enemy. Because the Philistines were the enemies of God, the pagan worshippers, which God said to drive them all out of Palestine. Out of Canaan. And he didn't feel a victim. He felt scared. He felt fearful, full of anxiety, frustrated at times. But he still kept, kept coming back. He still had that love for his Lord. That's what I think it meant when he says he was a man after God's own heart. And instead of feeling self pity, and running away and going to, off to a far country, leave me alone, I want to be by myself. He said, no. When the Lord is reproached, I am reproached. The reproaches that fell on thee fell on me. And that's exactly the reflection of Jesus Christ. That's why he was prophesied of Jesus, when the reproaches fell on you, they fell on me. When God hurts, I hurt. When God is offended, I am offended. When God is grieved, I am grieved. And he wasn't going to give in to the devil in self-pity. He wasn't going to give up the fight because of self-pity. It's a lesson for me. Remember Elijah? 
he defeated 850 prophets at Carmel. Then he flees to Beersheba and then to Horeb and gets up into the nook of, a, of, of Horeb. And he hears God saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? Oh, they've slain, they've knocked down your altars, they've slain so many, and here I am all by myself. There's no one else that but me. What did God tell him? He says, there are 7,000 that I've reserved that have not bowed their knee to bow. You think you're alone? And again, that lesson of the, the, the wind, the, the, the earthquake, and then the, the, the still small voice. And Elijah learned a lesson. He's not alone. And he's got to stop pouting. Jonah had to stop pouting. You don't know the heart of God. Do you know why I sent you? Don't feel sorry for yourself. Feel sorry for these people. The people of Nineveh that doesn't know the difference between the left and the right hand. Feel sorry for them. And they looked unto him and were lightened. When they looked to the Lord and when they looked to him, they looked at verse 5 of Psalm 34 and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. They weren't disappointed in the result that God would deliver them. Look, look at the verse 6. This poor man cried. Who's he talking about? <laughs> Who's he talking about? This poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. And saved him. Out of all of his troubles. He was talking about himself. He saw himself as poor in the sense that he's helpless. He saw that he's without, without God he can do nothing. And that's why he had to cry out to God. That's why the first beatitude is, is the most important basic uh, beatitude that we need to realize that there's nothing that we can do of ourselves. There's no power of our own, no strength of our own. There's no wealth of our own. There's no wisdom of our own. Until we realize it is the Lord that gives us. And when, when David acted wisely three or four times in those chapters that I read, guess what? It wasn't his wisdom. It was the wisdom of God. Because the wisdom of the Lord is the beginning of all understanding. Sorry, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And it's also the beginning of all understanding. The fear of the Lord. And then he says, look... This, this is a poor man in verse 6. But the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him, and he delivers them. When we take our focus of our own abilities, when we take us, our focus of our own circumstances, when we take our focus of our own past experiences, and we focus on the Lord... The angel of the Lord is camping around. Now, I think I got the right one with Hezekiah when the Assyrians and Elisha, sorry, it was Elisha, when it was Elisha, and they were surrounded by the Assyrians, and the servant was, was afraid. 
They're, they're far more than we are. He says, go look. What do you see? Nothing. Go look again. What do you see? And he saw angels camped around Israel. Oh, fear the Lord. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. There is no lack to them that fear him. We often, and every one of us has been there, we often see the difficulties, the challenges. We often see how terrible the situation is. But we don't see that our God is greater. That's the difference. The difference is how you see your God. What does that mean? How much faith do we have? And every time I'm asked, and, and, and I, I don't have all the answers, but every time I'm asked about a problem that seems difficult or impossible, I just say, take one step at a time. We heard about that step this morning. Take one step at a time. If you can't see ahead of you, take one step at a time. It wasn't until they put their soul into the River Jordan that it was split apart and they could walk on. But it takes faith to do that one step. That one step, it takes faith. In our lives, when we are faced with challenges and, and overwhelming tasks and we, we fear we don't want to go forward and we want to give up, just take one step. Keep traveling to God. Keep traveling towards God. James says, draw nigh unto God, and he would draw nigh unto you. You know, I've heard the saying, for every step we take towards God, he takes two to us. That's, that's a scripture. No, it doesn't say that. To my knowledge, it says, draw nigh unto God, he'll draw nigh unto you. It doesn't say how many steps God's going to take. Draw nigh to God. Don't you, haven't you experienced it? I have. I have truly experienced that when it seemed impossible, and I've become more fervent in prayer, and when all hope seems gone, that what seemed so dark yesterday becomes bright today. And God says in the New Testament that these things that have been done in the Old Testament, especially during the Exodus and, and the liberation of Israel from Egypt, it says these things were done for our examples. And what he has done for them, he can do for us and greater. Some of these were actually recorded in the New Testament 
It says in verse uh, fourteen, depart from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. You know who wrote that in the New Testament? The Apostle Peter. He doesn't use pursue, he used ensu. First Peter chapter three, verse eleven. He says, seek peace and ensue it. Look for peace. God will give you peace. It doesn't mean he won't give you effort and struggle, but he'll give you peace. In the end, he'll give you peace. And pursue it. Be persevering. Don't give up. And the eyes of them, of the Lord, are upon the righteous, and the ears upon Open to their cry. I believe the Apostle Paul alludes to this verse as well. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. But the righteous cry and the Lord hears them and delivereth them out of all of their troubles. And here's, here's one that we need to take home with us. Again, back to Beatitudes number one. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save as such as a bee of contrite spirit. If I'm not mistaken, that's written in Psalm 51, when David sinned the great sin, many great sins, and also in the book of Isaiah. What God is looking for you, he's not looking for your ability, he's not looking for your power, he's not looking for your contribution to the solution. He just wants from you and me a contrite heart, a broken and contrite spirit, he said he will not in any wise reject. And we heard this morning that he'll give us the desires of our heart if we delight in the Lord. When we cry out to God, he will hear our prayer. And then he gives us prophetic saying, uh, prophecy in verse 20, he keepeth all his bones, and none of them shall be broken. That is referred to in the New Testament. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeems the soul of the servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. May the Lord bless his word. To him be the glory evermore. In closing, I just want to read a song, a song from the Zion's Harp 2.13. The grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us always, with us always. Amen. This concludes our service.